banners and emails and stuff to try to bring people who are unchurched into the family of God, right? And so I got some funny church signs, if you guys don't mind a little quick humor real quick, of churches and the signs that they put out there. Maybe you guys have seen this online, but I thought they were funny. Can we just roll through a couple of the signs just to kind of get things going? Here's this first one. You may party in hell, but you will be the barbecue. Okay, now... (laughs) Now, I don't recommend this one. I thought it was funny, but I thought, ooh, that's harsh. Yeah, that's like, wow, the Savior's church. Wow, you're going to be the barbecue. Uh, okay, that's, that's not how we do things here, but that's funny. Next one. Uh, keep using my name in vain, and I'll make rush hour longer. God, little God humor for you right there, yeah? I like this one. Uh, next, next sign. There are some questions that can't be answered by Google. Wow, if you can actually believe that. Um, that there sometimes is one source, the Word of God, that really has all the answers. Go to the next one. Uh, honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. <laughs> Who's guilty? Come on. Come on. I know. I see you guys sometimes. I'm like, honking. Hey, there's my friend. And you're like, driving. <gasps> Scary. Scary stuff. Okay, go to the next one. This uh, one. Thou shall not steal the copper from the AC unit. Shame on you. Times are tough, but come on. Stealing from the church? Oh, craziness. Okay, next one. Uh, Read the Bible. It's user-friendly, plus we offer tech support here on Sundays at 1030. That's good. That's clever. I like that. Clever. Next one. Church parking trespassers will be baptized. (laughs) Is that a threat, a promise? I don't know. Next one. Whoever's praying for snow, please stop. Look at that. Look how high that stuff is. Aren't you glad we don't have to deal with that in Hawaii? I mean, we get rain and we, we don't want to come to church. We want to stay in bed, right? But these guys got to deal with this stuff. If you've ever been in snow, it's fun to visit, but I would never want to live in it. Uh, so much involved. That's funny. Next one. Uh, to be almost saved is to be totally lost. Whoa, that's a deep one, right? And that you eat, I mean, what do they say? Um, close only counts in horseshoes right? When it comes to Jesus and the kingdom of heaven, you're either all in or you're all out, right? We talked about that the other week is you don't, you don't add God, you don't bring God into your life. I have God in my life. No, 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 no. The thing about being a Christian is you surrender your whole life to God, right? I like that one. Next one. Uh, how do we make holy water? We boil the hell out of it. <laughs> I, I, I kind of question, is this really real? I know they put the, the, the bottom part in generallyawesome.com or whatever, but really the first Awesome Church of Works or whatever. I don't know. The first church of awesome works. I don't, I don't know if that's a real name. Funny. Next one. Uh, what is missing from church? You are. That one's good, huh? That's the kind of one where you wish you came up with that, don't you? You read stuff sometimes like, oh, I, I almost thought of that. I wish I could say that, you know? That's good. You are. That's cool. Next one. The last one. Every day above ground is a good one. Amen. Every day above ground is a good one, but to be honest with you, we know where we're going, right? So when we go under the ground, it's just a shell, it's just a body. We get to go to be with the eternal family and kingdom of God anyway. But I thought those were kind of funny, and we just use those to start the sermon this morning. If you guys have your Bibles, and uh, you better, because you're in church right now. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is what we're going to be talking about today. 1 Corinthians 5, we're talking about family today, how the house of God, us, gathered together, The family of God, we are a family unit, and we got to act like family, and we got to deal with problems that rise and come about in the family of God. Uh, Paul, Paul in this this chapter and the chapters to come, starts to deal a little bit about 
family problems, about stuff that's going on in this church at Corinth. And he's going, why are these problems here? Let's address these things. And guys, remember, you got to address them and deal with them because you're family. Yeah, we stand for something strong. We're bound together. We're eternally bound together. Let's act like family, not just in an organization or a club that we come to, but let's be real with one another. Last week, Paul said, uh, our role as Christians is we're servant managers. Remember that? That we're supposed to realize I'm just an under rower and Christ is calling out stroke, stroke or whatever. You know, it's like, I just do what he tells me to do. And as a servant, he also says, you're a manager. I've given every single person a different task, a different job, a different position. And usually those positions have names attached to them, like your coworker or your sister or your mom or whoever that God has given tasks for each of us. So we got to manage those well to the best of our ability. Keep on loving Jesus. Keep on reaching out to them. Today, however, he's going to start talking about the family. Last week, we're servant managers. This week, we're kids, and he's our dad, and we got to learn to love one another and take care of things in the family if we want to have any chance at expanding that family and bringing more people who are lost without true family outside in coming into the family of God. Here's, here's the deal as we're talking about family. Jesus, we see time and time again in Scripture, is passionate about his family, isn't he? Isn't he passionate about adopting more kids and bringing them into his family? He loves his family. He loves the house of God. He talks about it so much. He's passionate about it. Remember the time when there was the money changers going on in the booths in, in God's temple, his dad's house, and my house, the, the family house? There's these people scalping tickets or, you know, whatever they're doing, the offerings, right? They're, like, selling the, the, the bulls and the goats and the rams and, the, you know, all of that stuff, the pigeons, the doves, all of this stuff for sacrifice, and they're, they're selling them at extreme prices, ripping people off, and Jesus comes in there, and he's like, What? This is my father's house. This is the house of God. This is my family. This is where we get down and worship our God. How dare you bring that into the house? And he rah, whips over the tables, right? Like action movie status, like slow motion. You can just imagine. Boom, and 3D effects are flying, right? And Jesus is mad, but he's not mad. He's not, in, he's not sinning. He's not in anger just to be angry. He's saying, man, I love my family. I love my house. I have passion for my house. David himself in a scripture in Psalm 69 Verse 9 says, here's what David says in the psalm, passion for your house has consumed me. The King David is going, it's all about God's people. It's all about the body of believers. It's all about the house of God. I'm going to be passionate. I'm passionate. I'm going to defend them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to do whatever. We need to have that kind of passion and care and concern for the house of God, for God's family. All of us sitting here together, we're family. Whether we know it or not or want to admit it or not, we need to really start acting more like family. We need to have this kind of passion for one another. We need to have this kind of care and concern and real love, not just like, well, I kind of know that person, but I don't really want to get involved too much. But we really got to understand, we got to get used to the fact that we're going to be with one another forever and ever and ever and ever, yeah? And it's a good thing. And God is going, I put those people in your life for a reason. They're there to bless you and for you to bless them. And, and we're here, and we're in this family unit, and we got to care, and uh, I'm passionate for my family. You know, you read the stories all the time of, like, a mom or a dad that defended their kids, and they went, and they did the extreme, and they, they took on a bunch of people, and they fought them to the death, or, you know, whatever, and you're like, whoa, you know, like, passionate for the family. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm passionate for you guys. I'm passionate for this church. I want to see this church grow and flourish, and not just in adding more people to the family because I really have a heart for the lost. I want more people adopted into the family of God. But I'm passionate about seeing you guys grow and your lives see victory and you overcome 
marital problems and, and, and job and financial difficulties and the stuff like that. I get fired up when those praise report cards come in and we read them together as a staff on Tuesdays. We're sitting there going, yeah, God, yeah. Our family is going somewhere. God, you're a good dad to us. We, we love you. This is exciting stuff. We had a, a meeting this past Tuesday where we were talking about with our staff. We're talking about our, our vision and our values. And you can just see our staff getting lit up because they have a love for the house of God. And I love that. I don't want to hire anybody that does not have a love for God's house, that is not passionate about the family of God. And I see these people and we start going, what are some new ideas and some innovations that we can do what we do as a church, introduce people to Jesus and to the family of God and equip them and send them out? How can we do that better in new creative ways, thinking outside the box? And you start seeing our, our staff members, the gears turning and the thinking, and they start throwing out ideas and they start getting passionate why? Because they have love for the house of God. They have love for God's family. And so what we're talking about here today, even though we're going to deal with some problems that are in God's family, the point that Paul is trying to make is you better defend the family. As a, as a family member of God, you, better, you have a responsibility to get involved and to take care of one another and to keep this family strong and thriving and, and living for all that it lives for and all that it supports. Look at verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 5. Talking about a bad reaction, Paul points out a bad reaction to sin in God's family. He says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual, sexual immorality going on among you, okay? Here's what you got to understand. There's a sexual immorality problem in the church, but the focus this, in this chapter is not on sexual immorality. This is not a sermon about sexual immorality. We're going to get into that in the next few weeks to come. The problem is that Paul is not even in this church. He's away, and he's hearing all these rumors that there's problems going on in the church and no one's doing anything about it, okay? I can hardly believe the report that it got all the way back to me that there's problems in the church, sexual immoralities going on among you, something that even pagans, non-Christians, don't do. You know what? There's, there's something that you guys are doing that someone in your body is doing in the family of God that even people outside the family that have looser morals and standards, they don't even do this. And he says, here's what it is. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother, in other words, sleeping with a stepmother, incestuous relationship. Actually, the original language doesn't say that it was necessarily his stepmother. It says he's sleeping with or having relations with his father's wife. So that could actually mean his own mom. Okay, this is like disgusting stuff. And Paul is saying, I can't believe that I'm hearing this is going on. But here's the point in verse 2. You're so proud of yourselves. You're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you know what? You didn't do anything about it. You should remove this man from your fellowship. The biggest thing that Paul's going to focus on in this chapter isn't the sin itself. It's the fact that this church that's supposed to be God's family is not dealing with problems that are in the family. Is that they're so prideful about themselves. See, there's a difference between pride and love. They're almost like polar opposites. Because these people have pride, which says, I'm so worried about myself looking good and looking holy and looking religious that my eyes are focused on me, that when other stuff's going on around me, I don't have any concern for others. Love, on the other hand, is what we're supposed to stand for, says, I'm looking at others, how I can better others, I'm making others higher than myself, I humble myself. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us, right? I came to serve, not to be served. And Jesus says, if you want to show real love, you care for others more than you care about yourself. But these people in Corinth, now, Paul is reprimanding them, and he's going, man, I can't believe that you're so proud of yourselves, you're so focused on self that you're missing out on the needs of other people. How wrong is that? Pride, pride is backwards. And you know what? 
Even the non-Christians out there, they don't do this kind of stuff that you're doing. Even Roman law at the time said incest is not good, and yet it's happening right in God's own house, and you guys are just, well, I'm too prideful, like better, better, better him than me. You know, he's dealing with it. I, you know, I don't want to have to deal with it. So I'm just going to focus on me and go about my business. And sometimes we bring that into the church even here and now. We come to church and we focus on me and God and we forget that God's going, no, I put you in there as a family. There's other people that need you. Why don't you go and look for those people, make friends with them, pray for them, help them out, find out what's going on in the family. There's other needs. But pride focuses on self. Love is supposed to focus on other people. And then it says that you didn't do anything about it. You should remove this man from your fellowship. Instead, they just had indifference. And you know what happens with, when you have indifference, when you just ignore problems? They don't go away, right? They don't go away. It just, all you're doing is actually enabling them to grow. We have friends that mess up their lives and we're like, oh, I should say something, but nah, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't, wanna, I don't want them thinking, you know, that we're, we're not friends, so I'm just not going to say anything. All you're basically doing is saying, it's cool, keep on doing what you're doing. And no one tells them not to, so why should they, should they stop, right? So this indifference thing, it just continues to enable the sin and allow it to grow. And here's what I want you to write down in your notes. I, I'll give you stuff to write down every once in a while in the notes. Take it to mini church, think about it, chew on it, whatever. Here's, here's something I want you to write down. Family means you care enough to correct. Family means you care enough to correct. Because if you're in a healthy family, it's the fact that I don't want my kids going off and getting into trouble and messing themselves up. So I love them enough to come in there and say, hey, stop what you're doing. Not because I'm mad at you, not because I'm judging you, because I love you enough and I care about you enough to correct you. Does that make sense? We need to write that down because some of us are scared. We're gun shy. Oh, but I see what's going on over there, but ah, it could cost me the friendship. Well, who cares? Would you rather that person destroy their life and still just be your happy friend? Or would you rather say, they may not like what I'm going to say, but I want to save their life from this harm and this destruction? Is it family means you care enough to correct? You guys know the story of Spider-Man, right? <laughs> right? That, that great, the great parable, the great the story of Spider-Man. Remember the movies you saw, the comic books? Here's a story if you don't know. Spider-Man, Peter Parker, he gets his powers, and he learns that he could use them, and he can go make money. He goes and, and fights the wrestler guy or whatever for 300 bucks or whatever. He's trying to make money, and with his, with his powers, he's like, oh, I can go do this. So he hasn't become the superhero yet. He's just like the guy with the powers. So as he goes, and, the, and he gets his, his pay from the manager, the manager kind of jilts him, and he's kind of mad, like, wow, he didn't give me the full money I was supposed to make or whatever. And so he's on his way out, and what happens? You guys remember the story? A thief breaks in, robs the manager all of his money with the gun, goes flying by, and Spider-Man is in the way, but Spider-Man lets the thief go. You guys remember this story? Some of you guys do, right? And so he lets him go. Peter Parker goes, oh, good for you. Yeah, that guy stole from you. I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And so he kicks back and he lets the guy go by. Later on that night, we find out, or whenever it is, I don't know all the story, but that thief ends up killing Peter Parker's uncle, right? And Peter Parker's like devastated and he realizes, right? We all know the, the famous Spider-Man proverb, with great power comes great responsibility. responsibility, right? Good job. You guys are watching your movies and reading your comic books. What about your Bible? No. <laughs> um, but here's the deal. Spider-Man, or Peter Parker just kind of let it go by. And it cost him something. And in the family of God, sometimes we just, ah, we let it go by. But it doesn't always lead to good circumstances, right? Here's, here's a couple of verses that back up Spider-Man's story. James 4, 17. 
Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. In the family of God, in a regular, normal family, we know we should do something to help someone out, to stop something bad from happening, and we don't do it, then we're just as guilty as that one sinning. We've blown it. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says this, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Sometimes if you care enough about someone, you got to get in there and you got to say something that may wound them a little bit, right? Because you care enough. My, my wife and I were talking about this the other day and we're going, and I was asking her, have you ever had a time when someone came and had to do something or say something and it was, it was this, wounds from a friend, but it, it actually brought about good stuff in your life? And she goes, yeah, you one time. I was like, oh, uh-oh, what did I just do? You know, did I open up a can of worms? And she goes, no, remember back when... Um, She's like 19 years old, just out of high school and early college. And she goes, you, you were, I think, was I in Bible college at the time? I was in Bible college. We'd, we'd kind of broken up. I went to Bible college in the mainland. I came back. We were kind of getting back together. And she was, uh, she kind of had stepped away from the Lord a little bit, but she was coming back to the Lord too. And she was using words to describe friends that are like really like street slang, which, you know, a lot of times we say stuff that really, if we meant it in a real way, it would be really derogative, derogatory but we use it in a joking way. You guys know what I'm talking about? She was, you ready to hear the word that she was using? Okay, I'm gonna say it. It was the word, this is back when she was, I don't want you to judge her, 19 years old, in college, coming back to the Lord, thinking it's funny, using this slang, calling her friends a hoe. It's the 90s. And she was just tossing this word around like it's, like it's no big deal, like it's fun, you know, like, oh, yeah, I just call people that, whatever, and, you know, we call people worse, so, you know, like, but she was just throwing that word around, and I remember getting back with her, and, I, and one day I just called her on it, and I said, hey, you probably shouldn't just throw that word around that much, it's kind of not good, you know, We're, you're a Christian, supposed to show the light, not trying to be all judgmental, holy guy, right, because I'm not, but I'm just going, ah, doesn't sound good coming out of your mouth, babe, you know, I want to protect your reputation, and she got all offended, Right? And she goes, you know what, how come none of my other friends say, say anything about that? How come I can use those words and nobody else seems to care? Nobody else, they just laugh when I say that. And I said, and she reminded me, she goes, this is what you said. You said, because I care enough to do something about it. And I was like, oh, I said that? Hey, <laughs> right on. I was like, yeah, I didn't even remember, but she told me the story. I was like, oh, that's cool. She goes, I remember that because I was mad because none of my other friends even cared enough to correct me on that one. And you said, hey, that's not really good, you know what? And the reason is, because I care enough about you because I want the best for your life and your reputation. They must not care that much. And I was like, oh yeah, I was smart even back then. Awesome. <laughs> but the point of it is, do you care enough about other people to correct them? To, to not let the, the sin grow in their life and get out of control? Or do you care enough to let other people point it out in your life as well, right? Sometimes the wounds from the friend are the best kind of wounds. I'd rather that than the word says here, kisses, better than many kisses from an enemy. I don't need people really telling me what I want to hear. I want people really telling me what I need to hear, what's going to benefit my eternal life. He goes on in verse 3 and says, even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit, because Paul's writing this letter to them. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. In other words, I can clearly tell you this guy's out of line. He's wrong. And he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I'll be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. He's saying, you know what? 
deal with him now, confront him harshly now, because the hope is that in doing so, with tough love and discipline, that you'll save his soul, that it'll turn him around. Let him go run the path that he's doing. If he's not listening to the correction in the body, let him go and let the world beat him up a little bit so that possibly that repentance can come about, that conviction can come about, and his soul will be saved because he'll turn back to God. Okay, this is a, this is a, a picture of tough love, okay? That we should, we should respond to sin in such a way that, our, that the first part of it says, how come you're so focused with pride that you don't do anything about it, that you just let it go by, you're proud of yourselves? God is basically saying, you should respond to someone who's sinning with grief, with shame, with hurt. When someone, one of your friends in the family of God is messing up their life and possibly the lives of others, we should be bummed about that. Our hearts should break instead of, oh my gosh, did you hear about so-and-so, what they're doing? Oh man, they're such a sinner. Wow, what a backslider. I knew this day was coming. I could have seen this, right? Because we gotta remember that, that none of us are above falling one day and giving it to sin because, because of the flesh, right? Thank God for Jesus, but thank God for the family members that do speak up in our lives. But don't be so quick to judge. Here's what you, you can write in your notes. Are you quick to grieve or judge someone who falls into sin? Are you quick to grieve for them or to judge them? Does your heart break? I love that song that we sing, one of the songs in here. I think it's by Hillsong. It's called Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest or whatever. But there's one line in there that I love. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. But that first line always convicts me. Lord, break my heart for what breaks your heart. And God's heart breaks every time one of us turns away from him and sins and begins to mess up our life. Because he's going, no, you're my kids. Don't do that. You're flirting with danger. Oh, you're, gonna, you're, you're losing a relationship with me. Oh, and he's, his heart breaks. I want my heart to break for people that fall into sin or that, that mess up instead of being someone that's quick to judge. Amen? Don't you guys agree? We need to have those kind of hearts that say, oh, that's, oh you're hurting your life. I've seen what sin can do in people's lives, the destruction and getting them off track and, and God's hand of blessing is over them and then they move out of that hand of blessing and God's going, where we're at right now, I can't really bless you because you're choosing to do that. Man, my heart breaks for people like that because I see the, the, the difficulties that come with life when you're walking out of God's blessing. Our heart needs to break for people like that. And here's what we're talking about here, this thing about removing someone from the body. You gotta understand, this is the last resort. We don't go around on a regular basis going, man, the guy cut me off in traffic. You're out, you're cut, you're out of the family. You're never allowed to come to church again because you cut off the pastor in traffic, right? We don't do this. We don't do this lightly. We don't throw this stuff around. This is for the extreme cases where I believe what Jesus said back in Matthew 18, 15 to 17, Jesus gave us a good plan on dealing with people that are falling out of line and are sinning. And what he said there was, hey, if someone sins against you, you go to him first and have a private relational conversation and go, hey man, you kind of did this and I'm here to help you and I'm not judging you, but I'm trying to love you back and put you back on track, right? And if they respond, praise God, you won. But if they go, hey, don't tell me what to do, I'm gonna keep doing it. It says next, Jesus said, go get someone else. Go get another brother, a couple other brothers, sisters, and go as a family and go, hey, look, we all agree this is going on and we wanna confront you with this. We love you, please don't do this. And if they say, no, never mind you guys, I'm gonna keep doing it, then at that point, you're supposed to take it to the church, the leaders of the church, the more the body, and you're supposed to go, look, we're coming now, big family leadership here. We love you, stop doing what you're doing. You're harming yourself and possibly other people. And if at that point, they're still just like, doesn't matter, whatever, I'm a Christian, but I'm still gonna go do my thing. 
at that point, I think this is where this scripture comes in with Paul saying, at some point, tough love is isolating them from the rest of the body. Number one, so the sin doesn't spread to the body, the family. But number two, so that person will feel a little bit isolated and feel like, if I sin, I'm losing out on intimacy with my family because they don't want to have anything to do with me living against the other rules of the family. Does that make sense? That what we're talking about here today is harsh. It's, it's the extreme. It's, I think, the last resort. It's not, I'm not teaching you to go around and start judging everybody and start kicking everybody out of church. That's not the thing. It's that this is a last, last resort, but sometimes, and you can write this down, sometimes tough love is the best love. Because how many of you guys have had to have tough love to get you out of bad situations before? Anybody? You had it been dealt with, kind of hit rock bottom, get disciplined, someone talked to you, and you're like, oh, thank you. Thank you for finally getting through. But it was only when the tough discipline came, when you had to drop some heavy standards. Here's what I believe. Sometimes sin can get so bad that the light treatment doesn't work and you have to do tough love. How do I know this? Well, it's proven in nature. It's proven in the human body. I watched my mom go through breast cancer. And there is times when the cancer will respond to medicine, to radiation, to chemotherapy, but there are times when this is bad, we gotta go in there and we gotta cut it out, right? And there's times that sin gets a hold of us so much that all the like, well, I have love and grace and let's talk and let's help you, and someone is just going, they're just sold out on what the enemy is lying to them, and they're just like, no, I don't care, I'm gonna do this anyway. There's a time when you have to say, you know what? I gotta remove you from the family. You wanna go that route? Go, go play with fire. I hope you didn't get, don't get too burned, but I hope something happens that'll drive you back to seeing what was good in the first place. Sometimes tough love is a necessarily, it's a good love. But I believe that the message today is that don't ever let it, let it get this far. Don't you think that that's the message? I, I would hate for any of us to ever have to let it get this far. In my life, in my ministry, there's been less than a handful of times when I've ever had to literally take it this far and say, you know what, man, you need to not really fellowship with us because you're sin to the body and you're hurting too many people and you're not changing. I'm gonna have to ask that you not fellowship with us. Go to another church, go do whatever you need to do, go play in the world with all that you, you think you're doing, but you're hurting too many people. I'm gonna have to ask you, this last resort, don't come around here anymore until you're willing to play by what God is doing in your life. And this is for Christians now. This is not for non-Christians. This is for those that say, I'm a Christian, and yet I choose to live like this. But it's a last resort. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 10 and 11 says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord and take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Deal with it. Deal with the sin that's going on in people's lives. Why? Because you care. Because you love them. Because they're family and you don't want to see them bring destruction on their life and ruin their life. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15 says, take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter in Scripture. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Let them feel the loss of fellowship and relationship because they're messing up and they're hurting relationship. But then in verse 15, he says this, which is great. Don't think of them as enemies. Don't write them off and judge them. Instead, say, look, this is for your own good. I'm distancing you right now from relationship for, for disciplinary purposes, not because I don't love you. He says, don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. Again, he's bringing in the family terminology. Remember, they're family. Don't just go and hate on them, but you do need to distance them. He's saying this is last resort. Sometimes confrontation and separation are necessary. If you've ever seen that show on cable, Intervention, it's that kind of a thing. Last resort, they come together and they're like, look, we're confronting you. 
we've had enough of this. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting our family. You're hurting people around you. We got to do something. We're going to send you away to treatment. Or we're kind of just cutting you off. No more us giving you money or support or a place to live because you're, you're ruining your life and we don't want to have anything to deal with it. You go deal with it. And hopefully you'll hit rock bottom and you'll come back to us and realize that we're standing here with open arms waiting to receive you back in and, and love you back into the family. Is that making sense? This, we're, not, we're not judging people and just slicing people off. It's that there's a time and a place for tough love because there's danger that it can do in our midst, in the family. And here's the danger in verse 6. Your boasting about this is terrible. Again, he's confronting their pride. I can't believe this guy's doing this in the family of God. And you're boasting and, and bragging like, oh, yeah, that goes on, whatever, right? He's saying your boasting is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough, right? When you, when you make a loaf of bread, I was reading up on it, you only need like one spoonful of yeast to make that whole bread go in the oven and rise and be all perfect, right? Too much of it and it tastes bad and it ruins it. Um, if you don't put yeast in it, the bread just stays flat. But if, if that bread needs to grow and to be worked through, all it takes is one little spoonful of yeast. And he's saying this, one little bit of sin in your, in your midst, in the family of God, can spread to the whole family. He says, get rid of the old yeast by removing this person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are, without this sin. Get rid of any of the sin that's in there. Deal with it. Confront it. Kill it at the root. Grab someone and get a hold of them and put them back on track before that sin has a chance to grow. He says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, so let us celebrate the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Write this in your notes. Sin is contagious, so don't give it room to grow. Sin is contagious. It will spread like wildfire through that one person, if you let it go unchecked, but also in the rest of the family. We got to deal with this kind of stuff. My brother-in-law at one time went uh, a few years back. He didn't have insurance and, and all this stuff, so he hadn't been to the dentist in like five years or six years or whatever it was, right? Long time. He goes to the dentist and he finds out he had like seven cavities and two root canals that needed to be dealt with because he hadn't been doing the checkup. He hadn't been looking, he hadn't been doing all this. And he has bad, like all the cavities got drilled on and you guys know that feeling. That's never fun, right? That and you're just gripping the seat there, you know? He had root canals and one of them got like infected or wouldn't stop bleeding. And he was walking around the house spitting blood into this cup all day long and it just gro gross, right? Just filling this cup with spitting with blood. And of course, my like two-year-old daughter, they were babysitting her at the time, and he set the thing down, and she kicked it over on the white carpet, and um, all the fun, all because he never went to the dentist when he needed to, when he never had the regular six-month checkups to say, is there anything wrong that we can catch now before it turns into something bad? You go without the dentist for a few years, seven cavities, two root canals, spilled blood on your carpet, you know, all of this stuff, but here's, here's the point that that Paul's trying to make. If you let sin go unchecked, it turns into bigger problems. It's contagious. Don't give it room to grow. That, don't ever let it get to the point where you need to feel like you gotta remove someone from the, from the body. Why? Because you're being a family and you're constantly going, hey, Carl, you know what? What you said right there was, I think it was a little bit harsh to that person. I think you need to go fix it, right? I'd rather take that wound to my pride knowing that I can go fix a problem before it gets out of control, before that person hates on me and spreads gossip and the whole thing gets flipped upside down. I'd rather go and deal with that and go, hey, sorry, I think I, I, think I said something. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean anything by that. And you fix it 
before it turns into cavities and root canals. You guys get what I'm saying? That we, we don't need to let it get to that place. And there's a famous quote that you guys have all heard before. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Is that we stand by and we don't check out the cavities and we don't check that stuff out and pretty soon the whole body's infected and it harms the family. We can't enable sin to grow because it's contagious. The other thing about this, why it's such a danger is it's a bad example to those who need to be in God's family. It's a bad example to those outside the family to see the messes in the family of God when these people are going, I need family, I need support, I need God, I need prayer, I need relationship, I need all the goodness that comes from the family of God, and yet they see us with sin there messing up and we don't look any different from the world. They're going, I guess I don't need that after all. Looks the same or worse than what I'm dealing with in my life, right? Didn't he say that in the beginning? You're doing things that the, the pagans don't even do, right? How would anybody in Corinth be feeling led to the body of Christ if they see this kind of stuff going on in the body? Hey, I want to sign up for that. Oh, wait, what? You guys do that? Ooh, nah, that's cool. I thought it was something good for me, but you guys don't look that good. You understand that we have an example to play. We're supposed to be different. We're not called to be perfect, but when we fail, we fix it. We mess, we mess up, we love one another, we put them back on track, we have something that the world doesn't have. And so we look harsh to the world, we want to be something that's attractive. First Peter 1.16, where God says, uh, be holy because I am holy. The word holy means set apart. You better look different as a Christian. Look better than what the world has to offer. Matthew 5, Jesus says, we're to shine like light in the darkness, like a city on a hill. The people in the dark would go, whoa, those guys over there, what's that? What's that light? We, we want to go to that. We want a part of that. And we got to be able to act like our family is so good. Not act, but really be family so that people who are out there who need family can go, I, I want to go there. I want that. I want what you guys have. I need to be a part of that. Verse 9, it says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You know what that means? Don't go around and start judging all your non-Christian friends. Don't go around and start telling them all like, hey, stop swearing. Hey, you need to stop drinking. Hey, and we judge them. What we need to be doing is showing love that says, yeah, with all your problems or whatever, come over here. God can make something out of those and he can take those away and show you there's something better versus us going around and judging, 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 judging. Why would you judge people that don't live by the same set of standards and rules that you live by? right? We're only called to worry about the family when they get out of line. The rest of the world, we're supposed to show love and grace and have open arms to say, come in, God will change you. I'm not going to point out you're wrong. Just come in and let God do this thing. Because I wasn't talking about unbelievers who do all this kind of stuff. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. What I meant is that you're not to associate, not hang out with even, anyone who claims to be a believer, claims to be in the family, Claims to say, yeah, Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, I'm in the family of God, and indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. And again, he's not talking about every time you slip up and you swear, or you, oh, shoot, I told a lie. It's the kind of people he's describing is you're making it a lifestyle, a lifestyle of hypocrisy. I'm a Christian, but I totally do this all week long. I'm a Christian, but... People have told me to stop doing this kind of stuff because it's bad for my life. It doesn't matter. I'm going to keep on doing it. It's the people that are out and out bold about saying they're Christians 
and yet they're bold about the, the sin and the hurt and the destruction and that that's going on in their life. It's an ongoing thing, okay? Because I don't want you guys to get scared like, oh no, I yelled at my kid the other day, am I out? I don't want him to worry about that. This is the kind of people where God, or Paul is saying, speaking for Jesus, that you make this a continued lifestyle. You're not helping anybody. Stop, stop wearing that name Christian. Because we take that thing personally, and we wear that, that name with pride. Stop abusing the name in the, of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. How dare you? And he says, don't even hang out with people that just do that thing. And then in verse 12, he says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. See, God's family is amazing. It's an amazing thing. God's family is the place where I have people that support me in all the tough times that I go through, the losses that I've experienced, the hurts, the trials that I go through. I can count on God's family to come by and lift me up and support me. I can count on God's family to come beside me when I have victories in my life, and they're just cheering me on along with me and praising God with me. When I'm going through hard stuff, God's family is the one that comes to me and prays for me and brings in the power of God in my life, not the outside world that just says, well, maybe you can just have a drink and you'll forget about it or whatever they offer me. God's family backs me up with the power of God. When, when miracles happen in my life, God's family is all right there first to come alongside me and rejoice and go, God is a God of miracles, we believe in him. The world comes along and says, that's not really a miracle, that's a coincidence. Oh yeah, I know the doctors can't explain that, but that doesn't mean it's a miracle from God. That's just, that's just how the world works, right? It's God's family that has my back. And then I can even say those words, which are some of the most powerful words in my life, when I can say someone has my back. When I know that someone is in my corner, whenever I'm down and out, whenever I might have blown it and sinned or whether I'm in the highest mountain point, it's that people are right there and they have my back and they're going, we got you, Carl. Call me any time of the day. You can use any, anything I have is yours. We're here for you. We got your back no matter what. To me, that's the value and the benefit of God's family, isn't it, guys? I hope that you have that, and I hope that you get that from this place, from mini church, from the family of God in your lives, because that's what it's supposed to look like, and all of the good things that happen, and all of the relationships that are made through this church. You know what I'm thinking of as one of our new visions and one of our new strategies at helping people's lives? I'd like to start in our church a singles service. I'd like to start a service on the weekend where that's really targeting anyone from college age up until wherever in the area of being single in their life, that they don't have someone. Because here's what I believe, that everybody's always after having a good relationship, a good family, a godly relationship. What better place to find someone like that than in the house of God? Amen? Amen. To find someone that what you have in common with is the fact that Jesus rules your life. And what better place to find? So I'm thinking, how can we do a better job at being family? We got to provide a service where the singles can mingle. Amen? I want people who are Christian to find other Christians to start families. Because better in church than in the club and at the beach and wherever else you go. And I'm just thinking, we're supposed to be a family and we're about family values. And I want people finding godly relationships and families and all that. So that's one of my ideas. But, but there's so much benefit that the church has. I read an article in Time Magazine recently that talked about, um, let me see if I, I have it over here. It talked about how people that go to religious services or whatever, they're part of a church family, have a sunnier outlook. And it talked about that they, they live longer lives. They live more satisfied lives. They're, they're way less prone to depression. And one of the things it also said is they tend to be a little bit fatter. Amen? 
because we hang out with each other and we eat and we love the cruise and we love to just have a good time because the, we have those people in our lives that we can do that with. And so if I got to be fatter and happy, that's cool. I'm, I'm down with that. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll die from a heart attack if I ate well and I had people I love around me. Whatever, I'm going to be with God anyway. But the, the point of this article is a non-Christian article, Time Magazine, saying that people that go to church live better lives because of the relationships, because of the belonging to the body. Also, of course, because of God and his blessings in our life. But I think just, just having people, having close friends, having a church family, there's so much benefit to that. And yet, what Paul is talking about here today is this final thing to write down. True family takes responsibility for each other. And when there's sin in the house of God, it's time to clean house. When there's sin in the house of God, it's up to us. It's our responsibility to take care of the God's family. Why? Because we have work to do in reaching the rest of the people to bring them into the house of God, to bring them into the family. We don't have time to be messing with dirt and crap. Oh, can I say that? In our own house. Why are we wasting time with that when we got to shine the light to the rest of the world and get them into our house? We don't, we're, we don't need those distractions and we don't need the enemy coming in and going, ha ha, tripped you up on your game. You can't go do that because you're dealing with this internally. We need to love one another deeply and truly and say, let's clean the house because this is God's family. It's supposed to be the city on a hill shining bright to the rest of the world. Amen? Is that a good word? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for this fat family, your family, God. We thank you for this house, Lord, that we call the local church, Hope Chapel, Kaneohe Bay. We, Lord, we love the people that you place in our lives. Lord, and for those of us that don't have deep enough relationships, I pray that we'd step out and we'd meet people. We'd meet the other family members. Lord, we'd stick around after service just a few minutes longer to kind of be a part of the family, to get involved in people's lives. Lord, we know that it's, it, a lot of it is our responsibility, not just on everyone else to come and love us, but Lord, we gotta be people that reach out and love and make relationships ourselves too. Lord, help us to take ownership of that. Lord, help us to get into the mini churches where we get into real relationships with one another, more than just an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but we really live life together. Lord, Give us the boldness we need. Some of us in this room right now need boldness to go correct another family member. Not in judgmental ways, but in love. And maybe even in tough love. Lord, give us the boldness we need this week to go talk to our friends and put them back on track because, Lord, we want to save their life. We want to bring goodness to their life. We want to bring purity and love to the family of God. And, Lord, for those of us that may be sitting here and we're kind of on the receiving end of, of someone coming to us and loving us back on track, Lord, help us to be sensitive and humble enough to receive whatever we need to from our friends and our family members that love us. Lord, help us not to, to be mad, but to realize that there, it's a short-term wound from a true friend, a true family member that wants what's best for my life. Lord, wherever we're at in life right now, I pray that you'd bond us together tighter and closer as a family. Thank you for loving us. And if you're here this morning and you're maybe feeling a little bit outside the family, I wanna give you the opportunity right now to come and to be a part of God's family to come and be a part of not just this church, but God's eternal worldwide family of, of Christians, of believers. I'd like to give the opportunity right now for you, if you came here looking for something, looking for God, to realize that God is here and that he's found you and he wants you to join him. I wanna give you an opportunity to become a Christian, a real, honest to goodness, follower of Jesus Christ, possibly for your very first time right now. What we're gonna do is I'm gonna say a prayer out loud and I'm gonna pray the words of coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, becoming a Christian. And I'm gonna ask that if that's what you wanna do, you would pray along with me, those words. 
but you pray them quietly in your heart to God because God's judging you on your heart. Afterwards, you can go confess it out loud with your mouth, but for right now, you're just kind of doing heart business with God. So I'm going to pray out loud. I'm not going to embarrass you. You just pray along with me quietly and silently, and God hears you, and he'll honor that prayer. But I'm going to ask with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed around you that I'm going to count to three here, and I want to know who's praying with me. And when I count to three, I'm just simply going to ask if you're making Jesus the Lord of your life here today and becoming a Christian, coming into God's family, that when I count to three, you just raise your hand just to let me know, just the pastor, the one that's praying with you, the one that's so excited to pray with you, just let me know that you're praying with me. I just want to know who you are. No one else has to see you. Okay, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask that you let me know. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise those hands if there's anybody else. I see one. Praise God. Anybody else? I see two. Two people. Thank you, Lord. Three. Amen. Thank you, Father God. Anybody else? Four. Someone in the back. Unreal. I see you. Someone else? Five. I see about four or five people. Thank you, God. Best thing that we do on a Sunday morning right now. This is happening. Thank you. Go ahead and put your hands down and pray this prayer with me real quick. Here it goes. God, I'm here today and I realize that I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I want changes to happen. I need some help. I need your power. Lord, I need some, some strength in this life, Lord, and I believe that you're the answer. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on that cross in my place, if I would say so, if I would believe in that. And Lord, I believe in that. Your son came, died on the cross, and, and died for my sin and my shame and my hurt and my guilt and all the stuff I've done. And Lord, then the incredible thing is he conquered all that sin by raising from the dead and defeating that sin in, in his life, in my life. And so, Lord, I take a hold of that right now. I believe that you died in my place, paid my price, Lord, so that I can know you and I can know freedom. From this moment on, Lord, I promise to follow you, to read your word, to pray, to get involved with the family of God, all these wonderful people here, Lord, that could help me and challenge me and back me up and love on me. Lord, I promise to do everything that honors you. Lord, I want to get baptized just as a symbol of this new life, the washing away of sins, the cleansing, the, the death of my old self and the resurrection of a new life in you. Lord, I pray that you would baptize me in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, because I believe you're a God of miracles and I want to see that. I want to see the miraculous in my life, not just be a part of a religion. I want to know that you are real. So Lord, all that you have for me, I'm saying yes to from this moment on until eternity. Lord, I no longer fear death because I get to be with you in your house forever and ever. Thank you for loving me and accepting me and what you're about to do in my life from this moment forward. And in Jesus' mighty name, we all said, amen. amen. And we pray.